Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, September 8th. This is Stephen Nesbitt filling in this month for Derek Van Riper, DVR. Have a good dad break. And I'm joined as always by Keith Law. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm excited for this conversation. A lot is happening in the baseball world. Unfortunately, no, no big waiver news this week, but we'll move along and uh, we'll find something to talk about. <laughs> so we're going to get into some recent uh, promotions, debuts, top prospect updates, we're going to touch on the new ABS slash RoboOmp strike zone uh, changes at AAA. And later in the show, we'll revisit Keith's breakout list from the start of the season. We're going to put him on blast. Who doesn't love that? You ready, Keith? Yep, I'm ready. I got All my right. blast armor on. Be prepared. Be prepared. But first, we're going to talk about Jordan Lawler coming up. The Diamondbacks calling up their top prospect, number seven overall in your midseason prospect ranking. Uh, they're just uh, a half game out of the last wild card spot at time of recording, and they're bringing them up in time for a pretty crucial series uh, this weekend against the Chicago Cubs, DFAing uh, Nick Ahmed to make a little bit of room in that that infield. What do you expect for Lawler when getting a, a short taste of the majors the rest of the way? Yeah, he's uh, was number seven on my midseason prospect update. Uh, I think up from ten, if I remember correctly, previous prior. Uh, prior to this season starting got off to a bit of a slow start in double a where he'd finished the year before and after about mid to late may or so though you can see a pretty quick adjustment particularly in his uh, in zone contact rate that's the big difference he's not a big chase guy he does draw his walks even when he's not been hitting he's had pretty good walk rates uh, but it was more swing decisions and ability to make some contact within the zone that got much better between let's say start of June you can kind of pick your end point it's about the same over a couple week period until he got promoted to AAA in mid-August then he goes to Reno which is like hitting on the surface of the moon and so his numbers were out of sight and I'm like just you can kind of throw those out a little bit but he can he he, he can hit he's coming to some power he's got a good good idea at the plate at least the ball strike recognition is definitely there I, he's a plus runner who I think could learn to play shortstop in time. My guess is they're going to slide him to third base because they have Perdomo, who's been the primary shortstop and play it very well. And I don't think Lawler is going to necessarily play short at that level, um, at least not right away. Now, to your question, what do I expect? I see a lot of volatility here in that he's going to – I'm assuming he's going to go play third base. He played one game there before his call-up, so that's not a lot. And you know, I do worry a little. There's still some swing and miss there. Um, particularly right-handers throwing and breaking stuff. And he's going to see the best sliders and the best curveballs he's ever seen in his life now that he's in the big leagues. And that's going to require further adjustment. I think he'll get there in time, but predicting any player's performance in a one-month span is pretty risky anyway. But seeing him, you know, he's 
couple weeks above double A that was playing in an extremely hitter friendly environment would not surprise me if he struggled. I'm not saying definitely, but it would not surprise me if that happened. If it doesn't happen now, it'll happen next year. Teams will learn. Pitchers, pitchers will learn what the weakness is. He's going to have to go through another round of adjustments. I remember talking to a hitting coach some years ago about how you handle some of these um, guys right when they get to the majors, especially guys who crush fastballs, is that you'd love on one hand for them to be kind of aggressive early in counts, finding that fastball, uh, not waiting for them to throw that slider in the left-handed batter's box or the opposite side, whatever, and have them go chasing. But at the same time, if you're chasing early in the count, you're, you're going to get yourself into some trouble anyway and not necessarily learn to have that advanced p- uh, pitch recognition and, and plate uh, approach at the major league level. So I don't know if he's going to be one of those guys uh, that, that changes anything when he comes to the majors, but uh, I, I saw this quote from Mike Hazen in the Arizona Republic uh, from Nick Picoro today that I thought was interesting. He said, uh, it was from right, I think right before they actually officially called him out. So there's a little bit of like, if he comes up, when he comes up, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, it says, if he comes up, he's not going to be the expectation. It's not going to be the expectation that he's a savior. He's not, um, he's going to be an extra player on the team. If he comes up here, he'll get his opportunities, but we need the collective group up here to make him an extra player too, to make Make him sort of a cherry on the Sunday. That's what we'll be working for if, if that happens. So it's it's happening, and he certainly has the potential to be more than that. But for a team that's in contention and is right on that cusp of the wild card race, they 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 just need the cherry on the Sunday. Yeah, that's fair. I saw that same article from Nick Picoro, who who does a great job covering the Diamondbacks, and um, saw that even before I wrote, and uh, it sort of confirmed. You know, just guessing. Sometimes you can just look at a roster and a depth chart and say, look, the Diamondbacks have gotten less production from third base than any other position on the Diamond this year. So that's pretty obvious, right, in terms of plug-in. They don't need a shortstop, but they definitely need a third baseman. Why would you be calling this guy up if not to fill, or at least partially fill, your most obvious hole? And um, he's not the only third base candidate on the roster or who will be on the roster, even looking out a couple of days. So... It's not all going to fall to him, but it's a low bar to clear. I think that's a great way to bring up a young player, particularly position player, where it's just, hey, just be better than the guy who stunk, who's, or guys in this case, whose job you're ostensibly taking, right? Evan Longoria was the only third baseman they've had this year who's hit even a little bit, and then he got hurt, and everybody else has not been good. So it's not a high bar for Lawler, Lawler to clear, and maybe they spot him a little bit, give him... You know, don't play him against the tougher righties. He plays, maybe he plays against all lefties and some righties. There are ways you can kind of ease him in and give him kind of a soft landing into the big leagues, understanding at some point next year, you're going to ask him to play every day and then maybe more, more struggle and more adjustment will come. I don't think they anticipated third base being such a black hole this year. They started the season with Josh Rojas, who had had some good numbers in the past. Evan Longoria is sort of a backup plan. And then they moved to Jace Peterson after some time. And yeah, they, they, they just need... Some answers here, and this is not a bad answer, uh, or a guy to try to see if he's going to be the answer. Uh, even if they don't end up being in the playoff chase, this is some valuable playing time. So I want to ask you next, Keith, about uh, Paul Skeens getting shut down by the Pirates, uh, getting put on, I believe it's called the developmental list. Not really a, not really a surprise here. They, they could have not had him pitch at all after LSU's long season. Um, but he got some reps in at a couple different levels, got his feet wet at double lay. Uh, first outing was, was quite bad. The second one was more sharp, uh, <laughs> two scoreless innings. So what do you make of what you saw from, from Paul Skeens and uh, the Pirates shutting him down? Any, like any, any questions that raised for you? No, not at all. I, mean, I just looked it up. What did he throw? 6.2 innings in five separate appearances. I mean, sure. It's just a chance for him to 
make his pro debut, right, to get a, just a little experience in a professional environment. And for, I think, the biggest reason to do this with a college pitcher who's thrown, obviously, the LSU won the College World Series. He threw a ton of pitches. He threw a ton of innings well, by modern standards, at least this spring. There was no reason he needed to continue pitching. But it's to get your coaching staff and your development staff a little more familiar with him, just to see his pregame and between starts routines and get to see him pitch live, which obviously some of them did. The game I was at this spring, there was somebody from Pirates player development there watching, you know, it's double up, right? Him and Cruz. Um, and so you get that, you just get a little more familiarity with him, a chance to work with him and say, all right, shut it down. Maybe they'll bring him to Florida for whatever they're doing for instructs. Probably doesn't pitch there, but maybe just goes through some drills or some conditioning. They set him up with an off-season plan. I don't think it's ever necessary to take a college pitcher like that and have him throw over the summer. I, But I think there's, if you do something like this, where it's very, very limited, very controlled, with an eye, all, hopefully the plan all along was we're just going to shut him down. He's going to make four or five appearances, and then we'll just call it a day. That's fine. That's totally fine. I think with high schoolers, you could probably be a little bit more open because often they just don't, depending on where they're from, um, they don't pitch as much in the spring. Whereas most college guys, college starters who were starters in the spring and you project as starters, they've probably got 100 plus innings by the time the draft rolls around. And because the draft is so late, this wasn't so true for Skeens, but for a lot of college pitchers, they might not have pitched in four to six weeks by the time they actually sign a contract and get out to play. Skeens at least pitched a little later into June, so he didn't have quite as much time off, but he still had a break. And so you have to kind of build him back up just for him to be able to pitch, which to me is just yet another argument to bump the draft back about about two weeks from where it is right now. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of uh, conversation after that first bad start at Altoona that the the shape of the fastball just isn't going to work because he's going to get banged around. And and when you have the velocity he does, it, it kind of takes away some of that uh, some of the worry. Where where do you fall on the the shape of a of, of a hundred mile fastball? I have heard. There's a lot of disagreement over whether his fastball. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to people, both scouting and analytical side, guys who like doesn't have enough movement, too straight, and guys who say it's it's given its velocity, it's fine. Uh, it's maybe a little bit of a cop out answer, but to me, how the fastball plays is going to depend on how good his changeup becomes because he barely used it in college because he didn't need it. He's definitely going to need it at pro ball, and just having a. a you know, maybe a wipeout slider, probably a wipeout slider. That helps, but that ain't it. And especially against lefties, that's not going to be the weapon. And I think righties, I saw right-hander Andrew Pinkney, who's here for Wilmington. He's in the Nats system. He homered off a of Skeen's fastball, a little bit of a guess, um, but he turned on it. And the that a you know, very solid college player, but certainly not a lead. It's not like Dylan Cruz, Skeen's own teammate, was doing this. It, you just have a little bit of a question, right? Is that is that telling you? Hitters are telling you something when they do that against a pitcher. It's N of one. But it just sort of raises the question, all right, what is he going to do? He clearly cannot just blow guys away with velocity. Not a lot of guys can do that anymore because hitters can hit pretty much any velocity. So to me, the easiest answer to the question is he's going to have to develop something else. Um, and he has a change up, so that's what you start with. And we'll see hopefully that he becomes less reliant on the fastball, particularly on the fastball velocity. Cause if we're talking about characteristics, right? The fastball's velocity is its greatest strength. No matter what you think, where you think he falls on the scale of movement or, or life, it's the velocity. That's the, the most attractive part, not anything about its shape. 
you and I talked a bit offline about some of these aggressive promotions that we've seen across the minors. We saw them earlier in the season with some of the teenagers getting up to to double A, uh, Jackson Holiday, uh, Jackson Churio. There's someone else I'm blanking on. Um, Jason Dominguez, I believe, was was uh, at that age as well. Um, with Skeens, Dylan Cruz, Matt Shaw getting so quickly to uh, to double A. What do you sort of make of, of why are why are teams pushing this? What what um, I guess what's the, the thinking behind some of these moves? Well, I think for the because these are all um, the guys coming up to Double A this year out of the draft. It's all college guys, and I think a lot of it is a recognition that especially low A just kind of ain't what it used to be. Low A is what short season used to be, and so and you know people say high A is like low A used to be, but when we had short season and the talent was a little bit more. Um, distributed and there was a little bit more of a barrier. If you got to low A, you kind of had to either pass the short season test or be so good that that your team thought you didn't need short season necessarily. And so I think part of it is just recognizing these guys coming, especially coming out of major conferences with track records of production, like Shaw, like uh, Cruz, like Langford, I believe is in double A now too, that those guys, there's not a whole lot for them to prove. In list low A is not a test at all. If a college guy goes out struggles in low A, that's a really bad sign. And frankly, if he struggles in high A, I'd at least have some questions. You, know, you can always say a little bit, "Well, it's a long season. Is he tired? Let's you know give him a chance to come back next year and see what happens." But definitely a little bit worrisome. Whereas these guys who come out and just hit the ground running, um, why not keep pushing them? At least you're setting them up then so that they can start next year at Double A versus starting next year at High A. Because historically, I would have always said, you take a college position player of the first, second round, you should believe he is going to start the following year at High A. It seems like that's just changing. The teams are saying those guys should be ready to start the next year in Double A. Uh, not all of them, but most of them and you can at least set up that possibility here and i think all three of those guys we're, we're talking about the college guys they've all done well i guess langford just got there but shaw's off to a good start cruz is off to a good start um and i think that's pushing those draft guys pushing teams to continue doing that with draft guys once a few guys a few players succeed doing that well let's keep going that may be true too with like with Holiday. Holiday got to AAA because Bowie, I believe, is totally out of it. And you can send... Norfolk has an, an extra week of season beyond. And so that's another thing that's going to push guys up, right? A-ball, both A-ball levels end on Sunday, unless teams are in the playoffs. Double A's a week beyond. I think Triple A's a week beyond that. So you will also... We saw some of this last year where teams are bumping players up just at the very end of the summer because it adds an extra one or even two weeks to their schedule and maybe also just gets them to a spot where they're playing for a contender, which a lot of teams really want. Like, just they believe there's an advantage to, hey, go somewhere and jump into a pennant race. Not only will you help the team win, but you get that added experience, which I'm, I'm all for that. If the player's ready, I have no issue with Holiday getting to AAA. He certainly played well enough in AA. He might help that Norfolk team win gets them closer to the big leagues and puts them into a playoff chase. These all sound like good things to me. I was looking back at the notes from this spring when I hosted a show. We've talked about the bre- uh, the, the breakout players that we'll get to later in the show. And uh, I had Paul Skeen's uh, name written out, uh, spelled out phonetically. That was that was a point we were in the Paul Skeen's uh, era for me. Now I've heard heard and learned much more about him. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Dominguez is one of those teenagers. He was not one of those teenagers. I met Junior Caminero. I will uh, be getting back to both of those gentlemen in just a second. Let's start with Dominguez. Uh, so you touched on him last week's show. Uh, now we've seen a little bit of a sample in the majors of uh, one week. The, uh, <laughs> he has, he has made a lot of noise, three homers in his first five MLB games. First Yankees player to do that. 
um, uh, ever, I believe. And then the first, um, let's see, what is his note? The first the youngest Yankee with three homers in a five-game span since Mickey Mantle in 52. A uh, pretty good company. So I'm not familiar with that. Never heard Second of name. Not can, you, much can, a, you, can you spell that out for me? Not much of a prospect, that guy. Um, so you want to see him continue improving. That's what's really going to matter. But to start for the first week, 7 for 21, hits kind of all over the yard and, and three of them out of the yard, hits the ball really hard. Um, you know, he's going he's gonna to eat up fastballs, I think. The adjustment needs to come uh, with breaking stuff, and that's going to that's gonna you know come in time. We'll, we'll know by the end of the season how well he's starting to adjust. But uh, what do you think of the very, very early returns on Jason Dominguez? Actually, I thought you summarized him quite nicely, right? He's whacking fastballs. He is making hard contact. He's really strong. He's always been really strong. When he was 16, he was exceptionally strong for that age. I mean, this was the comment, and it was not a criticism necessarily, but it was a, I think, a fair assessment of what the ceiling might be. Just recognize he was more physically advanced. Um, I had scouts refer to him as maxed out physically for a 16-year-old. He doesn't look, I think, all that different now. His baseball skill has improved substantially. And we've really seen that from the start of last year until now, where he's moved through, I think, four levels and really made significant adjustments to his pitch selection and his pitch recognition. I'm very pleased to see that pitchers are not able to get fastballs by him. He's hitting them hard. He's barely swinging and missing at them. Again, these are small samples, but this is kind of what you hoped for, right? You figured he's going to swing and miss. And, you know, also he's kind of whacked sliders in the brief time he's been in the big leagues. It's not going to, that's not going to last, right? There's some swing and miss there. And also big league sliders are really good. Like we were just talking about, like that's going to be, um, that'll be a challenge for him. He'll struggle. He's going to have some periods where he can't buy a hit. I mean, he still hasn't drawn a walk in whatever 20-odd plate appearances. Again, not a huge deal, but something that just bears watching, right? Our pitchers are going to see that. Other teams are going to see that. And they're going to say, all right, breaking stuff out of the zone or change-ups out of the zone. Fastballs in the zone doesn't work. So probably work a, move away from that, try something else. But he kind of passed that first test. Or maybe that pop quiz you get in the first week of school. It's first week of school around here, so that's why it's on my mind, right? But that one, all right, buddy, can you hit a fastball? I'm going to throw a fastball in the upper part of the zone. What do you got? Well, he got it, right? He showed he can hit those pitches. That's pretty good, actually. I'm very, like, that makes me a little more optimistic, and I was an optimist. I am an optimist. I think Dominguez is a great prospect who's going to end up being a star. And if he doesn't end up being the Mickey Mantle, um, he can still end up a, a frequent all-star. I think that's a pretty reasonable ceiling to talk about given his talent how quickly he's moved through the minors and particularly his performance at the plate in the last two stops looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. It's very strange to see the Yankees working through a developmental phase in September. We'll, we haven't seen that in a while, but of course they started the season with one with Anthony Volpe, who's, who's uh, stuck at shortstop the whole season, and they're going to have some... some uh, you know, a question they need to answer, uh, whether that's the rest of this season or into next season, where Spencer Jones going to fit in their future. Anthony Rizzo is on contract uh, next year as well. Um, they they just brought a couple guys. So so it's going to be an interesting month to see how they wrap things up and how they're going to be moving into the offseason. Uh, curious on a lot of levels. Who goes to the AFL? All sorts of things with the Yankees. But uh, across the division, though, Junior Caminero with the Rays, I mentioned he was number five in your midseason list up from 99 um, at the start of the season. He had Barely played pro ball at the start of the season. Now he's up to uh, Montgomery in the AA Southern League. He just turned in the uh, Minor League Player of the Week, also Minor League Player of the Month for August. He has been uh, pretty absurd, settled in at third base. So since the start of August, his slash line, 361, 436, 741. That's not an OPS. That is a slugging with 12 homers, <laughs> 12 homers since the start of August, 29 ribbies in 29 games, uh, 13 marks to go with 17 strikeouts. So... What are we supposed to think of this kid? How, how do you see the uh, the Rays sort of handling him moving forward? Because he looks he looks ready. Yeah, and they may have an in- opening in the infield that they were not anticipating a couple of weeks ago. So maybe that encourages them to keep Caminero moving. I mean, at this point, he's going to end up with 30 homers on the season. He's at 28 with about 10, 8, 9 games to play. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, 10 games to play. Sorry, just checking my math here and trying to remember what day it is. Uh, you know, pretty good chance you've got. I don't, I don't think he's a shortstop, but he's played some shortstop this year. Third base, chance for second base, 30 homers, good approach, high contact rates, strong walk rates, very young for everywhere he's played. He just turned 20 on July 5th. So, you know, he can, at the very least, I think you're, first of all, I think he's a star, obviously. I ranked him fifth. I think this guy's a star. He can absolutely hit the number of scouts and executives who got back to me at the midpoint of the season when I did do that prospect ranking update because I had him stuffed. I think I might have had him at five on the draft that I sent around to people too. And the only comments I got back were, yep, yep, I'm glad. Yep, that's where he belongs. He should be way up there. Uh, Everyone seems to believe he can really hit and that he'll play probably third base. Um, I don't think he's played second at all, but I don't think that's out of the question. I mean, I'm very much a believer. If you can play third, you can probably play second. A few exceptions, but... Not a shortstop, very likely to be able to stay at third base. This bat will certainly play there. And then it just becomes a question of how quickly do they want to move him, uh, given, obviously, what's going on at the big league roster and uh, just how young he is. Probably starts next year at AAA. They're not an organization that has historically rushed guys, but he might be an exception where they just decide to move him quickly because I don't think he's been challenged at any point in AA. I don't think he's struggled there even for more than maybe a series. And so... I do believe just from a developmental perspective, you keep guys like that moving, keep them moving up until they reach a point where there's something to work on, some adjustment they have to make, something that's a challenge that forces them to reassess. And we just haven't seen that. Also worth pointing out, again, 
Tampa Bay did not sign him originally. He was signed by Cleveland, who then traded him to Tampa Bay for Tobias Myers. Um, before Caminero played a single game in the United States, he'd only played in the DSL. And uh, within, I think, six months, they had released Myers. And now Caminero is the Rays' best prospect. Look, uh, checking on Myers, double uh, A with the Brewers. 25-year-old, uh, 527 ERA. So uh, no offense to that guy. It was probably just a poor decision on Cleveland. Not his back. fault. Nope. Yeah. Nope. And every team has them, right? Every team has those guys. So, but it's just, you know, to me, it's much more of a good job by the race, by their pro scouting staff. I think the international guys were a little involved, obviously, there too. Front office, like, I would rather view this more as good great job getting curtis mead getting curtis mead for christopher sanchez who's actually doing very well for the, has done very well for the phillies you know you could argue great job by both sides but when you find that somewhat more obscure player who hasn't hit yet and he turns into a prospect for you after a trade but i, I like talking about the good work that pro scouts do and this is a good example of that yeah and you're always happy to see a development win for a team like the rays it's such a rare, for rare sight for oh them. yeah yeah, yeah. they've just yeah they've really struggled with that over the years thank god they spend all that money on the big league roster to stay in contention patch the holes on the on the ship uh yeah. and the the last uh, prospect i want to bring up here marcelo mayer uh left shoulder inflammation is gonna be done for the minor league season he was your number three on the midseason list um injuries becoming a little bit of a theme uh although you don't want to make too much of it at this point in his career last year is wrist and back injuries this year it's the shoulder yeah. Um, strong start this season at high A, batted 290 mm-hmm. um, for a 35-game stint through the end of May, and then really, really struggled at AA Portland, uh, beautiful city. Um, 189, <laughs> uh, we've got a train that goes right to it. Um, <laughs> 189 batting average, 253 um, on base, 355 slugging, six homers, and 20 RBI. Um, so he's still 20, young age to level, but injuries, this rough stretch at AA, does it do anything to concern you? It- not really. He's so young. He's played well pretty much everywhere. I mean, he hit well through the wrist injury. He was battling the wrist injury on and off the IL at least, I think, twice for Salem to start last year. I actually saw him right when he came off, and he clearly wasn't 100% and still played really well. Overall, hit really well and continued that um, up to Greenville. If you add up the two seasons, he had 60 games at the level with about a you know 370-odd on base, showing some power. He gets to double A and he struggles. I don't know how much of that is. It was just a little much for him. Did the sh- when did the shoulder start bothering him? Did that hold back his performance? Um, I'm not changing my assessment of the player at all. A little personally disappointed. I was hoping to go see them at some point this weekend. They're in Reading, except we're supposed to have like horrendous thunderstorms tonight, which is awesome when you're thinking this is a perfect night for me to go to a game no it's not at all actually uh, but that portland club is loaded and f- with with hitters and fun and hopefully i'll get them at some point this weekend so personally i'm bummed that they shut mayor down but probably the right thing to do where i do not push a guy with a shoulder issue maybe he can come back and play in the fall league he'd be a perfect candidate for that if the shoulder's totally healed but if they also say we just want him to take a full off season just get completely recovered get his strength back so this doesn't become a recurring thing I also understand that. And the one thing I would say to Red Sox fans who are getting concerned about the number of injuries, it's not been the same thing. That's where I get worried. The guy who misses time, you know, three stints in a year and a half with a back injury. Then I get worried. Next, Keith, I wanted to bring up a contentious topic among AAA players, the ABS RoboUmp. If I have my facts straight, I think it's the weekdays. They are using the RoboUmps weekends. The real umps get to step in and do their you know normal job. So Jason Stark wrote Thursday about the ABS uh, strike zone changing 
uh, as of this week, before the league had lowered the top of the strikes on uh, two inches, so they were adjusting to that. Joey Votto was in the minors like, that was weird. They kept taking pitches thinking it would be a strike, and it was a ball at the top of the zone. Um, also before, players got assigned a, a strike zone based on their height, regardless of like how they crouched or stood tall in the box. So now what's happening is a more personalized zone. Hawkeye is going to define the top of the zone as two baseballs above the midpoint of the hip, end quote. Uh, this was tested at low A. So this makes, I guess, sense, right? A more personalized zone makes sense. I'm glad if we're going to use we're going to use robots and cameras, we should at least get the strike zone accurate and and not just be like a yeah, you're you stand like the other it six seems three guys. Obvious, right? Aaron so, Judge and Jose Altuve should not have the same strike zone. So knowing that this is going to result in one day this being in the major leagues at, to some degree, right? Whether it's a challenge system or an every down thing, the MLB is is going to experiment the sort of thing. But what I the question I keep coming up with. As we're seeing pre-tech balls wreaking havoc at double A. We're seeing this at triple A where guys really raising some questions about how it's messing up their version of the strike zone and what their expectations have been over thousands and thousands of pitches thrown or, or pitches seen as a hitter. There are already natural impediments to certain levels, right? Like the PCL is a sad place to put pitchers. You might avoid that. Um, these levels and their and all their differences how is that impacting the the development experience? Are teams shying away from certain places because of this? Is it changing how they can evaluate players? I haven't heard so much about teams shying away from players more that the evaluation is different and that and this is true on the r and d side as well, where it's okay, wait a minute, this is a huge um, a huge challenge to us interpreting the statistics from and I'm not talking about just the superficial statistics, but obviously they have granular you know batted ball data and pitch um you know spin and spin axis that a lot of these things can be changed particularly by the pre-tacked balls or major league baseball has changed the baseballs without telling anyone before or using different baseballs at the levels up to double a and uh, i think this year it's a ball and below is one baseball and double a and up is a different baseball could be out of date on that but i think that's correct the automated ball strike thing is a little bit simpler because walk rates have just been higher this year in AAA, and to me that is less of an impediment to um uh less of an impediment to evaluating uh players because you you, you kind of know what to do and also there is very much the expectation that obviously this is going to come to major league baseball at some point uh i have had people with the commissioner's office who are involved in this saying they think it's ac- overall accuracy is pretty similar to what they get from umps from human umps overall in an aggregate not talking about any ump in particular but that there is a much more of a um, uh, consistency it's going to be much more predictable when dealing with an automated system and of course an automated system it's much easier to work in improvements over time like the things you were talking about which seem like pretty low-hanging fruit but obviously if they're finding um, you know, they will find weaknesses and be able to address them as opposed to finding weaknesses and deciding not to fire them, um, which is kind of where we're at right now with major league gums. By the way, just to bring this up to, and somebody even said this when I was ranting about it on Twitter, I'm not actually talking about any umpires losing their jobs at all. Use the exactly the same number of umpires. Just don't ask them to call balls and strikes. Yeah. Eventually, I hope that's completely automated. I understand we may get a challenge system first in the interim, and that may turn out to be um, much more palatable to all parties and easier to implement, and we get just a net gain in accuracy as opposed to what I'm talking about where it's, you know, you're not gaining accuracy, but maybe you're gaining consistency. I'm fine with that, but I am not advocating for any for um, for us to reduce the number of umpires that are used 
And I'm not even really advocating for anyone to fire any umpires. Just say maybe if an umpire is not doing a great job, just work with him to improve, let's say. But I am not. Somebody brought this up as sort of being anti-labor. It's no, 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 no. I'm just saying take this one job, which I just don't think any human can do well uh, for a whole variety of reasons. Take that away in part or eventually in whole and allow them to do the things that that humans really have to do. And we'll probably always do better than machines. It's always interesting to talk to players and hear that the heavy, heavy majority, they prefer a challenge system, which as an outside observer, just let the robot do it. Once we get to a place where we're like, the robot's doing a good job, um, you know, this feels like it's proper. And, and this is one, this move is one of those steps toward that, right? Like, let's let's use the cameras we have to determine where the hip, the center of gravity, whatever whatever you have to do to figure out what the proper strike zone for this player is. Um, that's, that's the way to do it. So once it starts to feel natural, I'm all for just, I, I don't care if it's a 12 to two game, just call the strike. That's a strike. Um, and get a guy on the mound who can throw a strike if you, if you are having issues with it. Um, but, but it's just interesting to hear, see like the, the people inside the game who, who want to leave like this, this sort of nebulous, like you know, expanding zone, this living, this living strike zone. Um, so always an interesting topic and, and always sure to bring up a wild, wild comment section under Jason Sark's story. So go read that one. <laughs> so true. All right, this Never is read the comments. This is the day of reckoning for your your breakouts list. You did this at the end of March. We talked about it then. You had it at the time, Keith. You had them alphabetically. I'm going to put them in order of um, like generally least breakouty to most breakouty. Um, so we'll, there there were ten players on there, and we're, we'll see how you did here. Uh, the first one, we'll keep it quick. JT Brubaker had Tommy John surgery. Uh, yeah, right, starting like pitcher. a week after I published that, I saw yeah. him pitch. I was in Florida, saw him pitch. It's like. Oh, this guy looks better. Talked to an executive with another team. He said, yeah, we think he's really thrown really well this spring. Okay, great. I'll put him on the list. Bam. My fault. So, Sorry. So the list is down to nine. So um, the next one we came up with, uh, Matt Veerling, outfielder for the Tigers, had gotten traded over from the Phillies. Um, on the whole, I mean, he's had some moments this year. He had uh, some really nice weeks early in the season for the Tigers. But on the whole, 260 hitter, 320 on base, seven homers, 681 OPS is kind of just 40 points higher than he was last year. Not Not – the breakout you were looking for, even if he has speed, defense, uh, pretty good whiff rate, he is probably at this point just a utility or uh, fourth outfielder type with the, with the way that roster is coming together in Detroit. Riley Green, Kerry Carpenter, um, Parker Meadows is up now. Akil Badu is also going to be that fourth guy. That's a fine result, but just not a breakout. Well, you know, they've been trying him at third base, which yeah. I haven't seen it enough. I'll be very curious. He's a good athlete, so I wouldn't rule it out. It, it seems like a big ask. I mean, there was a while there were Veerling, Veerling probably in the month of July. Before Green came back, Veerling was probably their best hitter, and he's just really tapered off. Um, he had a miserable August, and yeah. I don't know if that's just some regression to the mean. Yeah, 267 on base, 281 slug in the month of August. Um, we'll see. He makes some hard contact. Uh, I never thought he was more than a – I think he could be a regular, right? And I thought it was a lot for the Phillies to give up for a not-that-great left-handed reliever. And I think the Tigers so far have come out ahead on the deal. Uh, but I definitely expected more from Veerling. I thought somebody with this kind of hard contact profile and, and just overall contact profile that we'd see better. And outside of that stretcher on the middle of the season, he just – he hasn't been – he's been marginally better than last year. Andrew Vaughn, next up, first baseman for the White Sox. Um the numbers pretty much exactly what he did last year. He's at 25 fewer plate appearances so far, but he's uh, plus two doubles, plus one triple, plus two homers, minus four ribbies, e- exactly even on walks and, and stolen bases, plus nine strikeouts. It's a 259 average. Um, 
a, a guy that has 19 homers, so he's got he's got the pop. He's up a couple from last year. He still hits the ball hard, um, 40%, 47% hard hit rate, uh, right in line with his career average, uh, and does it without a really elevated strikeout rate, but struggling to hit on anything that isn't a fastball, and is continues to be a problem for him. So are we still waiting for the true breakout for Andrew Vaughn? Is that still in that bat? I hesitate to say no, particularly because I have a real track record of calling for a breakout in year N, and then it happens in year N plus one, which I don't really get any credit for. Uh, I'm not saying I should. You won't get any here either. Yeah. No, I shouldn't. (laughs) Right. I mean, the whole point is getting getting the year correct. Uh, And Vaughn is a bit older now in the sense that it's not that realistic to expect any kind of big step forward either. The thing I keep coming back to, and somebody asked me this in my under my column on the White Sox changes, Andrew Vaughn walked in college he had superb strike zone judgment and he hits the ball hard enough that it's not like pitchers are just refusing to go out of the zone it's the not the nick madrigal problem it's like you're not going to do anything i might as well just throw it in the strike zone so i would really like to know where that went what happened was it just that he was rushed to the majors and he was i think he was the first guy from his draft to get to the majors was he just rushed and he never recovered, never restored his previous approach. That's certainly possible. That ha- That is a thing. Um, and he's never quite recovered from that. I don't know. I, I really don't know. It is one of the more baffling things. Like, if you told me at the time Adley Rutschman's going to be, because they were the same draft, Adley Rutschman's going to be a way better player. Sure. He was an elite defensive catcher and a switch hitter who also drew a lot of walks and showed power. Great. Sure. Andrew Vaughn seemed like a pretty safe bet, maybe a lower, little lower ceiling, but pretty high floor. And he's missed his floor. That's what I really think is that the floor seemed to be actually maybe a little less power, a little more on base or a lot more on base. And that failing to come through, despite the fact okay, the Pac-12 wasn't elite, the Pac-12 used to be a conference of colleges located <laughs> on the West Coast of the United States. You know them that, now as Big Ten and ACC schools. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the Pac-2, is that what we're down to at this point? The the he did it in a decent conference and he just, and he did it that summer when they kind of moved him up. The concerns, he's not hitting for any power. He's not hitting the ball hard. Pandemic happens, misses the year, right? Comes back, goes right to the big leagues. Do I have the chronology correct? And then has never been that guy again. It's three years. I guess it could still happen. Obviously the White Sox are changing a lot of things, including changing the GM, Chris Getz, who I, who I do like a lot. And I think is at least a, you know, I've said this in other places. He's a smart guy. He is curious. He's open-minded. I have no idea how much autonomy he's going to have to make real changes to the organization, but he needs to. And you could point to Vaughn as one to say, hey, we didn't do this right. Now, maybe you say Vaughn is, we we got to turn that page. But at the very least, he's an example of, we took a really good college hitter with a great track record of performance, and we didn't even get, I would say, the bare minimum out of him. That points to a need for changes. Leori Tavares, um, Tavares pardon me, center fielder for the Rangers, Slash line effectively looks the same as last year. Last year, 263, 303, 422, uh, 12 homers, 11 steals. Uh, he's a plus D, plus speed. He's a useful outfielder. And, and you weren't saying he was going to be an all-star. He said, uh, quote, I think he's a league average hitter this year, and there's more power to come, if not in 2023, than in the next two or three years. Um, he is basically a league average hitter, 95 OPS plus. Um, and, and I do think there's probably more, more power coming, but 12 homers, not that, not that bad of a payoff in this year. Yeah, I feel like that's one if you're a fantasy player. And I, I, I recognize people use that breakout picks thing for fantasy purposes. You should be pretty happy with him. He had a, He's another one. He had kind of a veerling-ish season, right? May, June, I just pulled up his splits. Great. And then absolutely awful in August. Like, yeah. I don't know if he just hit a wall. 
or obviously the whole Rangers team has been scuffling. Um, and to their credit, they never really budged Tavares. I think he just mostly, they've left him at the bottom of the lineup and just, you do you. Catch the ball, put the ball in play, let your speed play. It's good. He's coming into some of that power. He's one where I absolutely believe there'll be another gear next year. You're hmm. seeing what I would always consider, you know, what's a breakout, right? This is a, a small breakout, a mild breakout. He's, he, got a, he got better. And he got more opportunities. And I mean, two years ago, this guy looked like he was never going to hit big league pitching. It was a little over the top, but he's getting there. I like the trend line. I think better things are coming for him in the future, even if he didn't quite do this season what I thought we would see from him. The next one's a very interesting one to me. It's Edward Cabrera, Marlins uh, starting pitcher. So he just came back up from the minors, was horrifically bad for much of the season. Although his ERA, four, five, six, not terrible. This guy cannot throw strikes. He's walking everybody. So um, 15.3% walk, uh, walk rate, six walks per nine innings, if you want to look at it that way. Just horrible. Uh, he went back to the minors, had great numbers, and just came back up um, uh, Wednesday. And uh, he, he didn't start. He came in in the middle innings as kind of the bolt guy. I'm pulling up his line here. It was uh, four innings, one hit, no runs, two walks. There you go. Um, only four and a half per nine innings. And uh, eight strikeouts was a was a I think relief record for for the Marlins. So this guy has the stuff. Uh, he just needs to have a whip below you know one point five uh, because that that's that's not doable, especially when you have a rotation as strong as as they've had. Yes, yeah. I mean, I don't know what to add to that. Just throw strikes. That's like, <laughs> what are we doing? Just throw strikes. That's really it. Like, guy's got. He's definitely got the three weapons: the you know fastball, slider. A plus to plus plus changeup. If he throws strikes, he's going to be like a number two starter, maybe better. Maybe he never throws strikes. Maybe he's got to be spend some or a lot of time in the bullpen. You know, any of these things could be true. None of it really matters until he throws strikes. Yeah. He also last year had an abnormally friendly BABIP and strand rate. And those have kind of, you know, as, as expected, come back to earth a little bit with some some normal regression. And so if you bake in a little bit better command and, and those things stay steady, I think he's going to be um, a useful pitcher for them. But again, their rotation is is strong enough that, that I guess he's, you're, he's waiting for that Johnny Cueto spot maybe to open up. Or um, Al- Alcantara. Like, I don't know what they're, right? yeah. does that create some opportunity? Do they try to stretch guys out? Give him a couple of starts, maybe with extra rest, or maybe they just say, you know what, this this is what we need now. We need bulk innings, and we're going to have you piggyback or, or be that bulk guy to just try to soak up you know, two to four innings every couple of games instead. It's a great way to develop a pitcher anyway, so I'd be completely fine with that. He's more like that stuff points to a much much better outcome, but yeah. until he, you know, you just you got to stop walking, guys. I know, yeah. and not to be Captain Obvious, but like throw strikes. Yeah, he's the guy you're you're watching the the game and you're like that stuff looks great and he looks great on Pitch Ninja, uh, and then and you're just like can you please throw strikes like you just got to get it uh, you're putting yourself in such terrible positions even if you're not walking the guys three one counts and everything like that so uh, next guys we're getting kind of to the the, the breakouting point uh, Kaber Ruiz uh, catcher of the Nationals you said I see around 15 homers and about 20 more points of batting average 270 275 all of which makes him above average regular even without any boost in his walk or walk rate or defense walk rate still not good. Defense still not good. The homers, though, he has gotten. Uh, batting 255 with 16 homers this year. And uh, grades out poorly, very poorly, and catching numbers, speed, base running. He does what he does, right? The hit tool is what it, <laughs> it is. The, the hard hit rate is not changing. Uh, but 
despite that not changing, he's up from seven homers to 16 and basically the same number of plate appearances. So um, the batting average hasn't quite gotten there. He's still at 255, where, where I do think he can wind up in the 275 range, given his contact uh, bat-to-ball skills. But uh, but he's he's giving them kind of, I mean, he can get in that 20-homer range this year. He'll go close. Yeah, um, I've been very happy with this one, especially because he also started out a little bit, um, started out a little bit slow, right? It yep. was really, I would say, second half or so that he's kind of come on as a uh, offensively to resemble much more the player I thought he was going to be even going into last season. This is kind of closer to, I think they're, you know, hope there's still a little bit more, but this is, yeah, this is much more resembling the kind of player I thought he was going to be eventually. Like maybe he gets to 20 homers, um, you know, low walk, low strikeout. That's fine. That's the long history, actually long history of catchers who've done that. And if you've got a little bit of pop, hopefully you can catch better at some point. Yeah, this is very good to see, um, to, to see him especially converting, getting to some more of that power. Because I saw him as a prospect when he was 20, maybe, and just thought there's more power in there. It really looks like there's going to be more power in there. And then it kind of didn't show up for a couple of years. And after a while, you just think, oh, okay, I was wrong. Uh so it's, it is a little bit gratifying to see some of that. And I, I still think there's a bit more to come there that makes him enough to make him, you know, very solidly above average regular as a catcher. I mean, I think at this point, the Nats have got to be pretty happy with that deal, right? Gray and yeah. Ruiz, they've gotten a nice return. Yeah, I uh, just pulled up his second half stats here. Uh, slash line of 308, 366, 494. You're going to take that every day of the week. Um, <clears throat> and his power numbers have, have stayed steady. Uh, and 14, you'll love to see it, 14 walks to 19 strikeouts. He's going to put the ball in play. And if he can put it over the fence a little bit, um, then you're right, regardless of if he's not a plus catcher. Um, you know, he maybe does the other things that a catcher does well, of working with, with the pitching staff. And, and there are a lot of ways you can add value, even if you're not Austin Hedges' uh, level of, of uh, DRS behind the plate. <laughs> Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, moving on, Alec Bohm, I specifically remember asking you uh, to talk me into this one this spring because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't buy it. Um, but I think I'm, I think I'm seeing it. 279, 335, 439, uh, slash line, 111 OPS plus 16 homers. The power showing up in a big way um, compared to where he was before. Uh, he might have a shot at 100 ribbies with that, the way that offense is and where they put him. Um, <clears throat> man, I, w- I was scoffing when they were having him like fifth, sixth in that order. It just didn't make sense given the other sort of offensive um, threats they have. His, his strikeout rate, 15.5, uh, really good there. 7.1 walk rate is a little higher as well. Um, to, to go back to what you said, uh, I think this year he hits for more average and gets to 20-plus homers. I make no promises about his defense. You're right. <laughs> defense, still bad. Although now, now he's going like 50-50 split, first base, third base, so that kind of helps things. Um, his, a- his average is basically where it was down one point. But OBP is up 20 points, and the homers are going to be close to, to the, the 20 you were, you were mentioning. This is a pretty good breakout. Again, very happy with it. I think um, in this particular case that the uh, – I still hope – he's really destroying lefties, really destroying lefties, which is great. Kind of something we all thought he would do. Would like to see another gear against righties. That is if he gets to be a better player than he is right now, where, look, if, they, if he could just play at first base, he's probably an average regular, right? But he's pretty bad defensively. And, I, you know, I'm glad I said that. <laughs> back then to acknowledge i'm really just talking about the bat here if there's more to come from him it's just harder contact against righties better quality contact against righties and that some of that power develops because i do think it's in there he's another one when he was coming out of the draft it was hey this guy can really hit um and we're just yeah not not totally seeing it but seeing enough this year that again coming back to if you're a fantasy player and you got alec Baum, hopefully you're happy with that one. Oh, if you got him because i said so not because Hopefully you didn't avoid him because Steven said I was full of it. That's right. <laughs> the non-believers among us. Uh, Brian Bayo, Brian Bayo started for the Red Sox. Um, man, he's, he's showing us what I think is a recipe for this working for a long time. He was a guy who had an outrageous BABIP, 404 last year. Uh, it's come down to 294 regression, baby. Um, so his, his overall line, 361 ERA, 1277 whip. Uh, 24 starts, 137 innings, 127 ERA plus to throw a bunch of numbers at you. What this guy does, he's a sinker ball guy, gets ground balls, 59% ground ball rate. Um, it's sinker and then like this beautiful changeup. I watch a lot of Red Sox these days. I, I uh, love the, the mix he brings. And uh, what you also love to see is his walk rates come down. 10.1% last year to 66 Again, I think this guy can do this for a long time. Yeah, very, very happy to see it. And uh I got to give credit. Justin Havens was a guest as my former colleague at ESPN. He was a guest on the podcast back in the spring. I asked him for two breakout picks and he talked me into this one very much. So I was like Bayo had him ranked as a prospect. And of the two he gave me, this was the one I said, you know what? I agree. I think Bayo is really good. I think it's a wipeout changeup. I think he throws enough strikes. I like the delivery. I think he can get there. And uh, yeah, he has been a real revelation. God, if you're the Red Sox, how happy are you right now too? Cause they've, they have a lot of hitting prospects coming. They need it. Yeah. 
they need some arms. They really need some arms. They need to send Bayo to the clone factory and just make three more of him <laughs> because this this one's really good. And um, and I, I agree with you. I think what Bayo is doing is sustainable. I think he's got a chance to be a very good pitcher for a very long time. The clones are just different versions of the spelling of Brian, and he'll be the strangest There you spelling. go. Yes, yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> Riley Green uh, is next up, center fielder, or I guess corner outfielder now with Parker Meadows up for the Tigers. Uh, you said, I expect him to get to 15-plus homers and have an OBP over four, 340 and cuts his strikeout rate by several points. He really went on a ledge here. Um, so, actually, it has worked out quite well. He's cut his strikeout rate by a point and a half. We'll give you that. Uh, despite injuries, so that's been the big one for him. He just went back on the injured list with elbow inflammation. Limited to 99 games, but it's a 288, 349, 447 slash line. You got that 340. Um, 11 homers, so he's not going to get to the 15, uh, but certainly the full season would probably more in the 20 range. Uh, seven for seven on steals. Um, this is this is a really good player uh, already. Uh, you know, after coming up last year, definitely some swing and miss in that profile. 27% uh, K rate this year. Good speed, good defense, especially when he's parked in the corner. Um, so and strong barrel rates. I mean, I, I just foresee very good things for Riley Green, Detroit. Yeah, I agree. Give him a full season next year, and I mean, he broke out. To me, that's that yeah. was the he. That's a breakout season. Yeah. Next year, he does the same stuff for the full season, and more people talk about it. But it's not about attention, right? It, it what he did. He showed us all. This is why he was the fifth pick in his draft class. Which, by the way, the top of that draft looking pretty good right now, right? Rutschman, Bobby Witt Jr. should have been on my breakouts list. Clearly, C.J. Abrams having a really nice year. He might be a breakout guy for next year. I think we're finally seeing enough of that improvement in contact quality that I can. Sort of more, you know. I've always liked Abrams as a prospect, but he's taken a nice step forward. That, yeah, it's turned out to be a, a really fun draft class. You mentioned your <clears throat> in that Riley Green blurb that you could just as easily as easily as pick Spencer Torkelson, who uh, after what he did last year, anything would have been a breakout, right? Uh, but he's <laughs> he's put up twenty five homers and seventy plus RBI. Um, he's he's well on his way, despite having some you know flaws in that in that that offensive profile. So Torkelson as well, another positive side for the Tigers. Very, very glad to see because he got off to a much slower start than the other yeah. two Tigers. And there was also a part of me it's like I can't pick the third of the Tigers lineup. This is ridiculous. But I did kind of feel like, hey, this Tigers club, like, they're fun to watch. Watch them hit. Obviously, they've had all their trouble on the pitching side. But uh, they're going to be interesting next year. And I could see them with a targeted free agent signing or two and obviously just hopefully just getting healthy at some point. I could definitely see them making some noise in a, in a weak AL Central, right? That that division will probably still be very winnable next year. Yeah, always. I, I can totally see that. Yes, always. It almost goes without saying. The perennially winnable uh, NL Central or AL Central, yeah. The, and the question too will be what happens with um, Eduardo Rodriguez. What would they do there? It's a it's a contract that lives on for a while unless he opts out of it. But hey, I just wrote about the two thousand three Tigers today. I spent way too much time on the Tigers lately. I need to, I need to get <laughs> off that. So the last one for you, Keith uh, Cole Reagans, lefty for the Rangers, has become like the talk of of uh, of baseball or at least fantasy baseball the last couple of weeks. Not good, <laughs> not not particularly good out of the pen for the Rangers but gets traded over to Kansas City in the Aroldis Chapman trade in the end of June, I believe it was. And, uh, man, 151 uh, ERA, .865 whip and eight starts, 63 strikeouts and 47 innings. This guy is fun. Uh, five pitches from the left side, averaging 96 mile an hour in that fastball. Um, Eno Saris just had a, a really good story recently on how he has gotten it done after two Tommy Johns. But, uh, man, w- what do you think about Reagans? Congratulations on the breakup pick and what sort of the reasonable expectations moving forward? 
I always liked Reagans, but he seemed low ceiling because he just didn't have enough fastball. And then obviously with the two Tommy Johns, you know, you're worried about what is he even going to come back with. And then he shows up in spring training this year and a bunch of scouts. I know Cole Reagans is hitting 98. So I text a buddy with the Rangers too. It's like, is he really hitting 98? <laughs> they said every time. Like they were surprised, obviously. But, you know, because of the free agent investments they've made, they didn't have an obvious spot for him. But he was always, I've got to remember back in high school, it was lefty with a delivery everybody loved, thought there was some projection. Obviously, there was, just took a very long time to get there. Good change up, good field of pitch, thought he'd be more of a strike thrower. And that was sort of an issue for him before, obviously, for, before he blew out the first time. And we're really only seeing since the trade. And I think kind of the shackles are off a little bit, and he's able to just kind of let her rip um we're seeing more of that strike throwing it's interesting he, he gets righties out more than he gets lefties because he's a change-up guy um but good enough breaking stuff obviously to, to get lefties out i think he will continue to get lefties out um he's pitching like a one he's probably not a one going forward i wouldn't be sorry to see that's kind of an awesome story to come back from two tommy johns and even pitch like he's pitching right now but i think he could be an above average starter for them and god the royals have had so much bad luck uh, with you know, all those college starters they took and a few high school starters they've taken have just not developed over the last six, seven years. So um, to land a guy like this in a trade, you know, they, they did it right. I'm not defending anybody signing our oldest <laughs> Chapman, but whatever. They got him and they got rid of him and they got a, a great long-term player for the long-term pitcher in a rotation that needs it. It's another one. Their, their offense might be okay, but they're going to need some pitching. And the starting pitching they've tried to develop just hasn't really been there um hasn't developed for them and i think that uh this is uh you know whether you credit their pro scouting r&d whoever you want to credit for it for them it's fantastic it is exactly the player they needed at the right time and i really i do believe reagan's can continue to pitch in an above average level going forward for for a couple of reasons you outlined too yeah it, it's one of the reasons i keep banging the drum that like the rebuilds must be a, like a multifaceted approach. You cannot just be focused on the developmental aspect. You need to be signing guys opportunistically to a one-year, three million dollar deal, uh, whether that's uh, a Chapman or um, uh, Heimer Condelario figuring something out uh, with the Nationals this year. Flip those guys to the deadline. All of a sudden, you just landed a Cole Reagans. Congratulations. You have you, you can't develop pitching. Well, here's a guy who's fully developed. He just needs to be healthy and. Um, and yeah, take it away. So, uh, Keith, I've got to be honest, that's a pretty good hit rate on the breakout list. Uh, not bad for 2023. Any uh, any uh, teaser for 2024? Have you started working on your list yet? No, I have not. I actually saved that. I'm not even being coy. I uh, I wait till spring training deliberately because, well, one, you just want to make sure everybody shows up healthy so you don't have too many JT Brute Breakers on the list. And I like to hear what guys are talking about, scouts or, or R&D folks. Sometimes people just reach out to me randomly and say oh hey do you hear so-and-so is throwing hard this guy looks totally different this year that's the stuff i want to hear i want to know about i go out to florida i go out to arizona but i can't see everybody but i go there talk to scouts while i'm there just texting guys during those parts of the year those are much more interesting because that's where it's new right talking to guys during the season always great you know a lot of these guys are my friends too so i'll catch up with them but spring training and then instructs and instructs even moving into fall league a little bit those are where things get really interesting because players change the most during those points every once in a while we'll get a story like oh so-and-so is on the backfields rehabbing in um you know in arizona and looks substantially better but it's spring training and, and the september october that's where you get the, the most interesting changes the big leaps and sometimes the big regressions too 
Ah, the best shape of their lives. I can already, yeah. I can already smell the fresh cut <laughs> grass in Florida. Uh, Keith, that's going to do it for us today. You can check out all of our work at theathletic.com. Get a subscription to The Athletic for $1 per month for the first year during our summer sale at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Keith on socials at Keith Law. You can find me at Stephen J. Nesbitt. The Athletic Baseball Show is back next week. Have a great weekend. Mm-hmm.